Churches all of a sudden were full. People calling for repentance. And we even heard God Bless America sung on the House floor of U.S. Congress. The tragedy invoked a response from the people. Unfortunately, that response didn't last but maybe a few weeks, if you remember. The world became very uncertain and people were turning to God until the dust settled and then they didn't need God anymore. But it's a shame that it took such a tragedy to bring people to repentance and prayer. But it's common. Matter of fact, that's exactly what we're going to see in the beginning of Esther chapter 4, is that the tragedy brings the same type of response. We have the tragic situation. The decree has been signed and sent throughout all the kingdom that all the Jews, man, woman, boy, girl, all Jews are to be killed, completely annihilated, and basically their memory erased from history. At the end of chapter 3, we saw many in the kingdom, especially in Shushan, the palace, were perplexed or confused by it, but nobody moved into action. But in the beginning of chapter 4, we're shown the response of the Jews as they realized that within 11 months, they're going to be slaughtered. It was a response of humiliation, repentance, prayer, and fasting. But again, it shouldn't take such a tragic event to invoke such a response. So let's look at the first four verses of Esther chapter 4. Esther 4, verse 1, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, that's all 127 of them, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. And so in writing this message, I made the points rhyme to help you remember it. The first point is we're going to notice the cause of the response. The cause of the response. Secondly, we'll study the gauze, G-A-U-Z-E. Yes, I said gauze. Other response, and I'll explain what I mean by that. And then our last point will be the pause of the response. You and I need to learn there is a season for weeping and mourning and fasting. But it shouldn't take a tragic event to bring us to the point of realizing there's a time for weeping, mourning, and fasting. Let us look to the Lord for guidance, please. Father, again, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we pray that we'd understand the need for us to have a humble heart before you. Lord, not just in tragic times, but in all times. Pleading and seeking your will in your face. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The cause of the response. You know, the cause, obviously, is this decree that has been signed by the king when the king gave Haman the ability to write this decree himself and seal it with his signet because he gave the ring to Haman. But it's still the king's responsibility, is it not? 
It's his signature on the document. And the king has made a decree that all Jews throughout the entire kingdom and the 12th month on the 13th day of the month are to be slaughtered. Our choices will affect others. Think of Achan. When Achan saw that Babylonian garment and he saw that wedge of gold and he said, ooh, that really looks nice. I understand the spoils of Jericho are supposed to go to God. And he didn't think beyond the end of his nose, didn't think that God said, give me the spoils of Jericho. Then all the other battles, they were allowed to take the spoils of it. Do you realize that? All he had to do was wait. But he wanted it now. And so he took what was not his, thinking that nobody knows. But when they went to go to battle against Ai, 36 men lost their lives. And when it was found out that it was Achan who had sinned against God, not only did Achan die, but his entire family with him. Don't tell me your sin does not affect others. Do you realize The entire nation of Israel lost the battle because of one man's sin. And 36 men died in that battle because of one man's sin. You say, that's not fair. Listen, Christian, I'll tell you what's not fair is the fact that I think I can get away with sin. Your sin never just affects you alone. And the king listened to the advice of Haman without any verification of the validity of the facts. And it affected every Jew in his kingdom. But it says, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, perceived has the idea to be, had it made known. You know, we need to perceive what is going on in the world around us. Now, I hate listening to the news because it's just one bad thing after another, after another, after another. And if you listen to the news, you're going to get depressed because they do not publish news anymore. They just love to dramatize everything bad. However, that does not negate our responsibility to keep up with what is going on in our world. You know, Jesus used many common uh, um, current events as illustrations as he would be preaching. And it's proper for us to understand what is going on in the world. Now, we don't have to be scared by it. We don't have to live in fear because of it. But we do need to keep aware of what's going on, right? And so Mordecai perceived that this decree was signed, probably found out pretty quickly, I would imagine, and it affected him. Lamentations 3.51, Jeremiah writes, Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. What we see happening in this world needs to affect our heart. When we see the wickedness going on around us, it needs to affect us. But you know, Christians, sometimes we need to stop and evaluate the sin in our own heart, and it should affect us as well. But we need to see world events in light of Scripture. I hear so many people, you know, well, you know, it's just a fulfillment of prophecy. All this stuff we see happening around us, I guess we'll just sit and and do nothing until Jesus comes. Well, it's just meant to be. We're not going to change anything. You know, I don't see that anywhere in Scriptures. Jesus said, occupy till I come. We still have a responsibility to be the salt and light in this world. As we sang the first song, brighten the corner where you are. Are you showing forth the love of God? Because let me tell you something, as the world gets darker, our light should be shining brighter. We need Holy Spirit enlightened discernment to be able to discern what's going on in our world and know how we can be effectively sharing the truths of God's word with this world. 
Now, yes, we have a responsibility to share the gospel with the lost, and I know that's our primary responsibility, but Christian, you and I need to be showing the world, no, this is the way. This is the way God said to live, not just whatever flippant thing that they want to do. But Hebrews 5.14 tells us, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, isn't it amazing when, isn't it amazing when we study the Bible, as a young Christian, you study the Bible and you get some of the milk of the Word. You get some of the basics of the Word. And you continue to study the Bible, and then you start to get some of the bread of the Word. And you start to understand a little bit more the, the deeper things, if you will. But you continue to study the Bible, and you continue to grow closer to Jesus Christ, and boy, eventually you get that full steak and that big meal with the steak and potatoes and the, and the apple pie for dessert. Anybody hungry now? <laughs> But it shouldn't take a great tragedy to bring us to our knees. Again, with 9-11, brought a temporary turning to God. And throughout all of Israel's history, when you study the book of Judges, one of the first things you're going to study is the cycle of the Judges, right? Everybody remember the cycle of the Judges that God blesses, and then, and then they turn from God and turn to the pagans, and then God has to send uh, the pagans to judge them, and then they repent, and then God has to send a judge to deliver them, and then things are going well. And then you know, they go through this cycle over and over and over and over again. And God even warned them that that was how they were going to respond. And you know what I see happening in our own nation? Every time things are going good, people turn from God. And then tragedy strikes and people turn to God. God delivers and we, we're on the same cycle. Why? Because that's human nature. When things are going well, we don't need God. So we think. Well, let me tell you, that's when we need him most. Because that's when our hearts are prone to turn from him. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves and the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now, I've show, told you before, that phrase clothed with humility has the idea of putting on those... Um, what I believe Peter is picturing in his mind is the night when Jesus Christ laid aside his garments and clothed himself with a towel to be able to wash the disciples' feet. That is the humility you and I need to have. Be willing to serve wherever, whatever God has for us to do. But seeing the world's condition should move us to compassion and action. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, weeping over the state of Jerusalem, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem as he comes to enter Jerusalem. We should be grieved by sin. When we look at the sin around us, we should be grieved by what we see. When we see that we live in a nation that murders innocent babies, we should be grieved by that. When we, live, when we see that we live in a nation that blatantly promotes homosexuality, we ought to be grieved by that. Because it grieves the heart of God. You know, as Daniel confessed his sin, and he confessed the sin of his nation, I'm just going to turn there. If you want to turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And I want you to see this. In Daniel 9 and verse 2, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the, in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face in the Lord God to seek 
by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now get that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The fasting, the sackcloth, and the ashes, and the prayer. And they all go together normally in Scripture. Okay, so Daniel reads Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah, there's the prophecy that the, the captivity will be 70 years. So here Daniel is on the, getting close to the other side of 70 years, and he prays to God, and listen to what he says. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer, supplication, and with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Verse 4, and I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession... And said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep him his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteous belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as it is this day to the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are far off, though all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O God, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions. About how old was Daniel when he was taken into captivity? Okay, young man. We'll go with that. So, we'll probably say less than 25. Okay. Who was Daniel in Israel when he was taken captive? I'll give you a hint. Nebuchadnezzar's capture of Israel was in three phases. He was taken in phase one. He was family of a noble, which means then his family was prince or some higher ranking group, if you will, with, among Israel, because that's who Nebuchadnezzar took first. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do to his parents more than likely? Yeah, they wouldn't give up their children willingly, so most of them were murdered. So more than likely, Daniel saw his parents and other leaders of Israel murdered. And then when he's taken to Babylon, what did they do to him? Made him a eunuch. Okay? Young man who was not a leader in Israel. His parents were, but he was not. Now grew up in Babylon and now after the 70 years, he's praying this prayer. And if you noticed, I emphasized many times, he said, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We, including himself. Why did Daniel do that? Did he personally rebel against what the prophet's words were? Okay, he recognized himself as a sinner. He also recognized himself as a Jew. And they, as a nation, had done it. And he's part of that nation. What is my point? When we pray and confess to God the sin and atrocities of our land, including abortion, we need to say, Lord, we have murdered our babies. Because you know what? I am an American, and we have allowed this to happen in our country, and I am just as guilty as everybody else. Do you follow the thinking behind it? 
And as Daniel is praying, he makes it personal, saying, Lord, we have sinned. He doesn't say, those people have sinned. Those wicked sinners out there. Those people that pass sin. He says, Lord, we are sinners. And I think the point being is sometimes we don't see the sinfulness of ourselves. Oh, those wicked things going on around us. Well, we're part of it. Now, I don't practice it. Neither did Daniel. Do you follow the point? We've got to take responsibility for what is going on around us. And Daniel did. Paul, when you would ask Paul about himself, he would say something along these lines, as he said in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul didn't say that to be falsely pious. Paul truly believed that he was the chief of sinners. You know why? Because before he was saved, he was killing Christians. He was persecuting the church. Now, was Paul forgiven for it? But Paul never got over the fact that I am a wicked, vile sinner, saved by grace. Sometimes, Christian, I think we've gotten over the fact that we're a wicked, vile sinner, saved by grace. You follow what I'm saying? So, Yes, there was a cause for the response, but Christian, what I'm saying is you and I need to have times when we realize, do we need revival in our nation? Yes, we do. Do we need revival in our church? Yes, we do. But you know, we need to realize, Lord, I need revival in my heart. If we've grown cold, if there was a time when you were closer to God than you are now, then you need revival in your heart. Which brings us to the cause of the response. And so let's go through this. Let's go back to Esther. And we'll look at the elements, if you will, of this response. First of all, we have Mordecai rending his clothes. It says in verse 1, Mordecai rent his clothes, which is the tearing of the garments, which is a sign of mourning. Now, often this was done as in conjunction with the burial of a loved one. But we see several other instances of rending of garments in Scripture, one of them being Joshua, after the loss of Ai, Joshua 7, 6, Joshua rent his clothes and fell on the earth before his face, the ark of the Lord, until eventide, and he and the elders put dust upon their heads. We'll talk more about that in a minute. David, when hearing of the death of Saul, 2 Samuel 1, 11, then David took hold of his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. Now, this is not a common practice in the United States of America, but in Eastern culture, as a sign of mourning, as a sign of anger, as a sign of distress, you would take and you would tear your garment. Then it talks about, he sat in sackcloth and ashes. And this is where I get the gauze of the response, because the sackcloth was a rough material. Now, the closest thing that we would probably think of today would be like a burlap. Okay, so imagine making a coat out of burlap. And it's not probably the first choice that you would have for making a coat or a shirt. Say, honey, where's my burlap shirt? I just feel like being rough and tough today. All right? But it was uncomfortable on purpose. And then the ashes, this either sitting in ashes or putting the ashes on your head, ashes is a sign of nothingness. And what it is is an outward showing of saying I don't deserve to be comforted. I am nothing. It's an outward showing of an inward distress, if you will. It was a sign of grief or repentance and definitely a sign of humility. 
Now, along with it would be the mourning, weeping, and wailing. And again, we see that verses 1, where it talks about Mordecai crying out with a loud and bitter cry. In verse 3, it talks about the people mourning and fasting and weeping and wailing. When's the last time sin caused you to weep? When's the last time you cried over the lost condition of somebody you know? When's the last time you cried and wept over the condition of our nation? When's the last time that you realized there's some sin in your life that you had not confessed and it was breaking fellowship between you and God and it caused you to weep and cry? You know, I think in modern Christianity, our eyes are too dry. It's okay for men to cry. You know, when I read through Jeremiah, he was not a wimp. Our Lord and Savior was not a wimp. But the Bible tells me, matter of fact, every child's favorite verse, Jesus wept. Do we weep? You know why Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus? It wasn't because he wasn't going to raise him from the dead. He knew he was going to do so. He knew he had the power to do so. It's because... Jesus felt what you and I feel because there's sin in this world. He felt how it is to lose a loved one. Now, he knew he was going to raise him up from the dead, but you know what? he understood the effects of sin in this world. But does the effects of sin in this world bring tears to our eyes? The, the fact that men are turning their back on a holy, righteous God who loved them enough to send his dear son to die on the cross of Calvary, does that bring tears to our eyes? The fact that our nation thinks that it's okay to defy God and say that it's okay for men to be married to men and women to be married to men or women and promote that openly, does that not, should that not bring tears to our eyes? Does the fact that our nation is giving wholly to alcohol anymore, everywhere you turn there's alcohol, should that not bring tears to our eyes, Christian? You know, you talk to anybody in law enforcement, you know where they're spending most of their time anymore? Drugs. Drugs are running rampant in our nation. It is a, you want to talk a systemic problem, there it is. And you know why people are turning to drugs? Because they feel there's no hope, there's no value, there's nothing in life worth living for. Christian, you and I know the joy that Jesus Christ brings, and you and I need to be crying over the situation of our nation, and then you and I need to get off of our knees and do something about it. But the problem is, I don't think we're spending enough time on our knees in the I don't know how it would be done necessarily today, but in the sackcloth and ashes, realizing, uh, you know, Lord, I am nothing. But, Lord, you've saved me, and I want to go out and I want to tell this world because the condition of where this world is grieves my heart, and I know it grieves yours. So, Lord, use this servant of yours. But I will tell you something I know we can do, and that's the next part. It's the fasting and praying. Now, remember, in the book of Esther, prayer is never mentioned. But if you look throughout Scripture, and every time there's fasting, what is always associated with fasting? Prayer. You know why? What's the purpose of fasting? Just to walk around as the Pharisees did and say, you know, when they disfigured their faces and people say, oh, what's wrong with you, Mr. Pharisee? Oh, I'm fasting today. Yes. You know, I believe fasting is one of those things, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. 
You don't have to go around bragging everybody you're fasting. You know, churches call church fast, and boy, everybody knows that oh, our church is having a fast. You know, you call them up and say, hey, can we get together for lunch? Oh, no, our church is having a fast. And, and I get it, you know, because you don't want to break the fast, right? But the point being is sometimes it becomes more about what I'm doing versus why I'm doing this. But the purpose of fasting is to be able to dedicate more time to prayer. Giving up food, not a bad thing. Well, then how long should I fast, preacher? I don't know. If you're diabetic, probably not as long as others. Maybe giving up a meal, but spend that time in prayer. Some can go a whole day with fasting. They say the average is three days. I'll tell you what, though, be careful if you're going to do, as Jesus did, a 40-day fast. You better know what you're doing. Okay, because you can hurt yourself too. But the point is, are we saying, I'm going to give up in order to have more time with the Lord? I'm going to give up the food, I'm going to give up whatever in order to have more time with the Lord. You know, now, yes, fasting typically involves food, but you could give up other things. You could give up your time in front of the TV, your time in front of the computer. You can give up all those things too to spend more time in prayer. Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, Defraud ye not one another, talking to married couples, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So do we have a season of fasting and praying? A time that we're giving up food and maybe other things as well in order to spend more time praying to our holy God. A time when we say, Lord, my time with you and my time, you hearing uh, the pleas that I have for the condition of my own heart and the condition of our nation is more important than my basic food necessities and necessities. You see, we sing the song Sweet Hour of Prayer, but I think most of us have about the sweet 15 seconds of prayer. Maybe sweet five minutes of prayer. And folks, there's power in prayer. So not only do we have these elements, but Mordecai made it extremely public. It says in verse 1, He went out in the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Now, Mordecai wanted all the city to know the grief that he felt. He wanted the king to know the pain that his decisions caused many. So he sits outside the king's gate. This was not, as the Pharisees were, for show, but this was a public display because this was a public decree, this was public policy, and this was an outcry against the public policy. I think the best that we do here at Freedom Baptist Church is the first Sunday of October, we go up to Martin Luther King Boulevard and we stand along Martin Luther King Boulevard in silent prayer holding signs, we call it the life chain, in opposition to abortion. And I hope you truly are praying during that time. You know, that could be a time of, well, if you didn't eat lunch after you left church, it could be a time of fasting and prayer, right? But it's also done publicly. Now, are we doing it for a public show? No. We're doing it because it's a public outcry against public policy. You see, there's a time for private prayer. There's a time for private repentance. 
before God, but in times of national distress and to speak out against public policy that is wrong, there's times to do it publicly. And that is why Mordecai and the Jews are doing it publicly, not because they're trying to put on a show, but because they're trying to show that this public policy is wrong. And we're crying out to Jehovah God to fix it, right? Should that not be the intent of why every one of us line up along Martin Luther King Boulevard once a year to take that hour to pray? To cry out to God and say, God, we can't fix this, but you can. And we're going to rely on you and we're going to do our part, but we're going to stand here and we're going to have this public outcry, if you will, against this disgusting public policy that murders our babies. But then in closing, let's look at verse 4. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, and when the queen, the, then the queen was exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment and, and to clothe Mordecai and to take away a sackcloth from him, but he received it not. You see, there is a season for grieving. We just covered this recently in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Solomon says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Too many churches have become nothing more than a social club that entertains, and every time you need to walk out of there feeling good about yourself, you know sometimes the preaching of the word doesn't leave you feeling so good about yourself. And sometimes there is a time when there should be conviction, and there should be mourning, and there should be repentance. But that doesn't mean that every message is that way, because there are some times when you are walking with God, and God has a message of encouragement for you. You see, there's times and seasons for all things. But as I said, I sometimes feel our eyes are too dry. We're forgetting the times that God has said there should be times of mourning, there should be times of weeping. There should be times, Christian, when our heart is broken. More than just when there is a major tragedy, but just seeing what's going on around us on a daily basis should break our hearts. But Mordecai would not be comforted because he wanted to take the time to grieve, to repent, to cry out to God. Now, it doesn't mean Mordecai didn't take some action, did he? Does it? Because he did. But I think too often we too quick to return to our comforts. When Esther sent the garments out, he could have said, all right, enough's enough. I'll put on these comfortable garments. He said, no, it's not time yet. Now, I don't know how long he needed to stay there. I don't know how he determined how long it would be. But I do know this. When she sent the garments out to comfort him, he said, no, it's not time yet. But I am glad that even in our time of sorrow and our time of grief, And in our time of mourning, that God is still the God of all comfort. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the open into prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of, of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them... Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, 
that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified, and they shall build the old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Isn't that interesting? It says, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what Jesus provides. But we need to understand there's still a time. And we need to have that mourning. And yes, he's going to bring the oil for, for mourning, oil of joy for mourning. The ashes, he'll bring the beauty. He'll bring the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And again, I don't understand or know why exactly Mordecai felt when those garments were offered it wasn't time. But I do know this. There have been times in prayer when I believe I just need to pray a little longer. I just need to pray a little longer. And I can't explain it, but I'm sure all of you who've spent seasons in prayer and in mourning and in fasting, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit says, okay, that's enough. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Mordecai wasn't there yet. Believe it at that. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. But you and I need to take time to humble ourselves before God. Micah 6.8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. As I said, often our prayer and fasting may be in private. But when it is public, it's never for pretense as the Pharisees. Should never be for pretense as it was the Pharisees. Because Jesus said they have their reward. So when the Pharisees would disfigure themselves and go out just to make sure everybody saw, and then they could brag about how they're fasting before their holy God, and the people were like, ooh, Mr. Pharisee, so special. They got the reward. And when you and I do things for pretense, which I believe Mordecai was not doing it for pretense. He was not doing this for a show. He was doing this because what the king had decreed was wrong, and he was going to take a stand against it, and he was going to cry out to Jehovah God to change this. And by the way, I believe Mordecai knew, Mordecai knew, knew just as you and I do that God is in control of all things, and God could change this if he would so choose. But you know, I often wonder, how often is God willing to do something on our behalf, but we have not taken the time to ask? We've not taken the time to humble ourselves before a holy God, recognizing our inability, his complete ability, and coming to him humbly as we know how, saying, God, I can't, you can, and would you please? And if not, give me the grace to accept a yes or no answer from you, right? Coming before God saying, Lord, I realize I am just a filthy, wicked sinner who deserves hell. But Lord, you've saved me by your grace and you call me your child. And so I'm coming be humbly as I know how. Because Mordecai would take action. And let's just go ahead and skip down there for now. We'll come back to it when we get this far in the chapter. But verses 15 and 16. Then Esther bade them to return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. 
and I, my maids, will, will fast likewise, and so I will come before the king. First of all, right before that, he reminds Esther, don't think just because you're the queen, you're going to escape this decree. You see, he took action, said, Esther, you're still a Jew. Even though you're the queen, you're going to die like everybody else. And so she sends back this message and says, okay, go tell cousin Mordecai to gather all the Jews and fast and pray for three days, and I'm going to do likewise. Then I'm going to go before the king, uncalled, which could be my head, but I'm going to do so. And what did Mordecai do? He went and gathered all the Jews and said, we better start fasting and praying. There's a season for weeping, mourning, and fasting. And so when's the last time you have entered one of these seasons? But it's great to know that even in those times, God is in control, and he's the God of all comfort. Let us close with a word of prayer.